morning, everyone. <laughs> Greetings from New Jersey in the States. That's where I pastor a church, and uh, I'm so grateful to be back uh, here in Lausanne. Uh, this is pretty much my fourth or fifth time back here, and I'm so grateful for the invitation. Martin, Sue, great to see you, and all the men. We had a great weekend, didn't we, brothers? All the men that were there these last couple days for the men's uh, conference that we had. And um, this morning, I'm blessed to be able to get into God's word with you in Psalm 34. We've already heard it read, and for sake of time, I'd like you to just open up your Bibles with me. Turn there now. There are some gems of truth that are going to bless you this morning in this beautiful psalm that David writes to us, uh, writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Psalm 34. David writes, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear of it and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Let's pray. Father, even as we just begin to dive into this psalm, we realize that you are worthy of praise. You are a God of glory. You have created the heavens and the earth, and we worship you as creator. But you have redeemed our souls from death and bondage of sin, and so we worship you as redeemer. But even this morning, Lord, we can worship you as the personal savior and friend of our lives who is always working on our behalf. Lord, thank you that you ever lived to make intercession for us. And yet, God, we want to behold you today to behold the beauty of the Lord. And we want to see why you are worthy of worship. And I pray this morning you would help us right now to taste and to see just how good you are once again. Lord, speak to us through your word, we pray, by your Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, amen. amen. All right. Well, you know, this psalm, like so many psalms in the Bible, they take us into a communion with the Lord that calls us to worship, to pray, to respond. You know, it's wonderful when you get to hear a prayer that's inspired by the Holy Spirit. You see, all of us can pray prayers, and they're just as, as important to God to hear the prayers. In fact, in Revelation, our prayers are stored up in bowls. But I want you to know Psalms and Proverbs, the two books in the middle of your Bible, they are the two books that I read every single day. No matter what book in the Old Testament I'm reading in my devotions or in the New Testament, Psalms brings me into prayer, praise, and devotion. Proverbs into wisdom and into prudence, into discernment, direction. I believe that a Christian should have a good appetite of the Psalms and the Proverbs. But you know, there's certain ones that stand out to you that just really minister to you at times in your life. And it's interesting that David's opening words are, I will bless you when? At all times. Now it's easy to bless the Lord and to praise the Lord when you get a promotion when you have a baby born, when something wonderful has happened in your life. But David begins to become a worshiper who praises God even in the times of disappointment, distress. Or in this case, contextually speaking, David has actually, in a sense, had a failure in his faith. 
We actually have, even maybe you have it on your Bible as a heading, David actually sings this song of praise when he pretended to be a madman in front of Ahimelech. And what's interesting is that he was driven away and he was actually there uh, at the very place where the Goliath giant was born from, in Gath. He flees Saul. Why is he fleeing Saul? Because David is going to be the next king of Israel, but he refuses to take the crown from a man that God has already anointed and appointed. David believes that God places him in time where he's supposed to be. So David is learning how to just worship God, not finding his identity in what he does, but rather in who he serves. This is so important for us as Christians. And so David at this point has not only fled from Saul, he goes to Achish, king of Gath, which is where Goliath was from. And what's interesting is, do you know what I want to point out that you might not just get from reading this text? Is that Goliath was beheaded by David from his own sword after, of course, he shot him with a stone from a slingshot right at his head. And the sword that Goliath had was taken by Hithophel. And, and what happens is, is that David actually takes that sword with him. And now David, rather than trusting the Lord as a man who says the battle belongs to the Lord, he's carrying the sword of his enemy. And he realizes at this point, what am I doing? I've been a madman. He tried to actually pretend to be mad because he didn't. He heard the voice of the king saying, you know, the people around the king saying, uh, you know, Saul had killed his thousands and David killed his 10,000. This is what people said about this man. And David says, oh no, they know about me. Surely they're going to take me out. And so David pretended to be a madman. And what a contrast. Listen, what a contrast to be literally pretending to be mad where saliva was coming out of David's mouth and he was literally scratching on the door to all of a sudden write a psalm shortly thereafter that says, I will bless the Lord at all times and your praise shall continually be in my mouth. You see, brothers and sisters, worship is an exhale in your Christian life. When we feed on the word of God and feed on his faithfulness, we're inhaling the goodness of God. But this whole service has been declaring God's goodness. And it is so important that you have holy exhales all throughout the day. Because if you literally just took in air and you held your breath, you eventually pass out. But when you exhale, you continue the flow of breathing. And being a Christian and praising God is like breathing. The Bible says, let all who hath breath, what? Praise the Lord. And that's exactly what David is doing. Later on in Psalm 71, David will say, my praise shall continually be of you. He says in Psalm 71, 7, I have become a wonder to many, but you are my strong refuge. Let my mouth be filled with your praise and your glory all the day. Of course, the New Testament picks this up as well. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18, rejoice in the Lord always, pray without ceasing, and in everything, what? Give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And you know, brothers and sisters, I just want to say, you know, no matter where we live in the world and what we go through, praise does three things 
There's three reasons why if you get into the habit of doing what David does and really praising and blessing the Lord, you will see a wonderful change in your own life, in your own heart, because as we, we discover, um, when you think about praising God, you are actually fulfilling what God created you for. And so I'm going to give you three quick reasons right now of why when you don't feel like it, you should still praise him. When you don't see an answer to your prayers, you should still praise him. Why when you don't understand what's happening in our world and you might have a bit of fear rising up and anxiety rising up, you should praise him. Here's three reasons. Number one, God is worthy of praise. Amen? God is worthy. Listen, for no other reason, if you know that God is the creator of the heavens and the earth, then he can handle your problems. He can take care of you while your answers of prayer haven't happened. He is worthy because he's God and he's your creator and he's your redeemer. That's number one. Number two, because God right now, and I can give this to you as a promise, is working all things together for good to those who love him and are the called according to his purpose. Can I tell you this? Your trial has a purpose. Your trouble has a purpose. Your disappointment has a purpose. But if you worship God in the midst of it, you are helping to fulfill your purpose, which is to align your heart with God at all times. Number three, so we have God is worthy of our praise. God is working all things together for good. Number three, God is wanting true worshipers who will worship him in spirit and in truth. Brothers and sisters, if we only worship when we're happy, when we're you know, feeling like it, when we're motivated, that's not a true worshiper. Because in really, in actuality, you are self-worshipping because you're basically, in a sense, just responding to the fact that um, God gave you what you feel you deserve. There's a self-entitlement that we can have in this world, which is not godly. Instead, when we worship God in our most lowest of times, we're actually showing the authenticity of our faith. In fact, Martin has been taking you through 1 Peter, and in the opening chapter of 1 Peter, you might remember, it talks about how the genuineness of your faith is tested. It's like pure gold. But why? So that it produces praise and honor and glory to God. We learn in 1 Peter 2.9, if you were at the Sabbath class this morning, you might realize that we are a priest and kings, a kingdom of priests unto God. And the Bible says in 1 Peter 2.9 that we're a chosen generation, a holy people, and it says that we might proclaim the praises of him who called this out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Now, brothers and sisters, when you start to praise the Lord, you know what starts to happen? God becomes big and things of this earth get a little smaller and you need that perspective change. So verse two, what do we read? My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. Boast in the Lord. You know, praise is a form of boasting, but it's godly boasting because we're not boasting about ourselves. There's no attention on me when I praise God. The attention is on God. And this is so important. In fact, Paul, the apostle would write in Galatians 6:14, but God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. And then we read this, the humble shall hear of it and be glad. Do you know, not only does praise humble yourself, but praise reminds us all together collectively to be a humble people. 
Do you know it only takes one person in the group to complain, and there's a complaining spirit in the group? But it only takes one person to remind everybody, hey, God is still good. And we all go, oh yeah, that's right. God is still good. You know, we might be the children of Israel wandering through the wilderness. If just one of them starts to praise the Lord, it has a contagious effect. But I want you to know, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to who? To the humble. The humble is when we put our heart in a constant awareness of who God is, and we have our natural state before our supernatural creator. We need to humble ourselves. So then verse three comes an invitation. What do we see? Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I love this because David here as a man after God's own heart is going to win the hearts of many others. Do you know what happens right about the time when David writes Psalm 34? It says that his brothers came to him in the cave of Adullam, which is really probably where he wrote this psalm. And do you know what's interesting is that it says a bunch of men gathered with David. And what kind of men gathered with David? Those who were distressed, those who were in debt. The bills just weren't adding up and they were in trouble financially and they were discontented in life. Sounds like the whole world gathered with David. <laughs> but listen, David is in the cave of Abdullam, and what happens is, listen, in the cave of Abdullam, he's writing this psalm, and men gather to him. And you know what David, I think, starts to see? People are gathering around me. I'm going to be a king one day, and what kind of a king will I become? Well, he learns, he's already learned to be a shepherd. He's already learned to defeat a Goliath as a warrior. But here you see the worshiper David. Here you see worshiping David starting to invite people to worship with him. And I'm going to say this, listen very carefully. The single most influential thing about David for the men who were discontented, distressed, and in debt was they saw a man who could worship God even when he had no home to dwell in, even when he didn't know what life was bringing him. No one knew he was going to be the next king. David didn't share that yet but they saw that he worshiped God. And so he's inviting them, come, oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. It reminds me of at Christmas time, perhaps we sing the Christmas carol. Oh, come all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant. That call is saying, oh, come all ye citizens of heaven above. And we sang that this morning as we worship together. It was beautiful to worship together. But listen, Worship is not meant to just be in song. Worship is meant to be in communion and in trust with God. Look at verse four. I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. There is a connection between you being a man or woman of faith or a man of woman in fear and the difference is where you set your heart. If you seek the Lord, you will be heard by the Lord and you will discover he will be a deliverer. Isn't that pretty much how the book of Exodus opens up? The children of Israel were in affliction. They were in bondage. They were in slavery. And they called out to God, and they didn't think God was listening. For 400 years, generations went by as they were enslaved and in bondage under taskmasters. But then there was the reality that God was hearing them. God was going to deliver them, but in his appointed time. Brothers and sisters, this is a word for some of you right now. God makes all things beautiful in its time. Don't try to rush the work of God. 
because it will be beautiful in the end. Even Job could say, Lord, you know the way that I take, and after I have been tested, I shall come forth as gold. Gold must be refined through fire. So we see that God is a delivering God. This reminds me of Psalm 40, another Psalm that David will write, where in Psalm 40, verse one, he says, I waited patiently for the Lord and he inclined to me and he heard my cry and he also brought me up out of a horrible pit and set my feet upon a rock. Brothers and sisters, are you building your lives on the rock or on the sand at this present time? You might say, last year I was building on the rock, but somehow I feel like I'm back on the sand. Well, what's the difference? He who hears the sayings of the Lord and does them, listen, we have to reorientate our hearts back to God if we're gonna see God accomplish his great works in us. But you know what's amazing? Is that the Lord put a new song in David's heart in Psalm 40, verse three, he says, and he says, praise to our God. And then he says this, many will see it and fear, and will trust in the Lord. Can I tell you something? People are watching you, not just how you work, not just what you do with your life. They're watching if your faith is genuine. It doesn't take long to see if somebody's faith is genuine. If you study them long enough, you will see because they will give thanks to God. It will just start coming out. People at your work should know you're a thankful person. People in your home should know that you're a worshiper, not just when you gather on a Sunday morning and the, and the worship team's up here, but because you've learned to praise God at all times. And it's just a part of your exhale, your spiritual exhale. Look at verse five. It says, they looked to him, not, not to, so they looked at David, yes, but they were looking to him and were radiant. The him here is the Lord. And their faces were not ashamed. You know, a lot of us don't look to the Lord because we are ashamed. I know right now that God sees every heart in this room. And some of us have brought sin perhaps into this room just by the fact that something has been unconfessed, undealt with in your life. And maybe shame caused you not to worship this morning. And maybe shame is keeping you from being bold to share your faith because you don't want to be a, a hypocrite after all. Like, I mean, why should I share my faith with somebody when I'm not even living it out? But know this. Satan seeks to condemn you so that you don't turn to the Lord. The Holy Spirit convicts you so that you have nothing left but to turn to the Lord. And when you turn to the Lord, your shame goes away. You see, when Adam and Eve in the garden were ashamed, they were naked and not ashamed before the fall. After the fall, they were covering themselves with fig leaves. Do you know how many people today are just religious people who are still covering themselves with fig leaves? When God all the while already has an animal on the side, that he's going to sacrifice to clothe Adam and Eve with the skins of an animal, an early picture of the atonement of Jesus. Do you know, brothers and sisters, there's nothing you can do in your sin that's going to be bigger than the mercies of God. Because last time I read in my Bible, it says the mercies are higher than the heavens. So unless you've got sin that stacks up higher than the heavens, God's mercy covers you. But here's the key. You must be honest in your worship. You must confess your sin, and then he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. When you look to the Lord, do you know what starts to happen? Shame is replaced by the name of the Lord, for there's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we can be saved, the name of Jesus. 
I love saying the name of Jesus. I don't know about you, but I hear so many people say the name of Jesus as a curse word in this world. Nobody seems to say a curse word about any other God or person, but Jesus Christ gets thrown out like that. But I love to say his name in worship. I love to say, Jesus, you are so good. Jesus, you are so wonderful. In fact, my first words this morning, I try to make it a a point. When I wake up in the morning, I want my first few breaths to have a praise in it. Can you try that? Wake up in the morning and just say, praise you, Lord, for another day. Praise you, Lord, for a new beginning because his mercies are new every single morning. Thank you for your mercies, Lord. Thank you for your grace. In fact, I don't do anything before I open up my Bible, in a sense, and begin to just praise the Lord and start with Psalms, and I just, that's my daily habit. See, I kind of believe this. The daily bread, my Bible, the daily bread allows me to be daily dead so that Jesus lives in me instead. That's how I look at it. So I need to decrease so that Christ can increase because I know that if Joey is living in my strength, it doesn't work out so well. But when I surrender and say, Jesus, take the reins, lead my life, Jesus does a work in me and my face starts to shift its countenance. I know a lot of us wake up kind of tired. You need that cup of coffee. You're waiting to get yourself jolted, but try praise before your coffee. See what happens if you can perk up a little bit with some praise and thank God for his goodness, for the goodness of God will continually lead you to repentance. Isaiah 60 verse five says, then you shall see and become radiant and your heart shall swell with joy because the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you. The wealth of the Gentiles shall come to you. Exodus 34, 29, Moses comes down from Mount Sinai. And what do we learn about Moses when he comes down from the mountain after meeting God? His face, what? Shone and radiated. They had to put a veil over him because people couldn't look on the face of Moses because Moses had spent time in the presence of God. And can I just tell you this? Although we may not have um, any veils over heads today with glowing heads and glowing hair or whatever, you can tell when somebody spends time with the Lord. Have you figured that out yet? People who genuinely spend time in the presence of God, here's what Psalm 16 and 11 says. You will show me the path of life. In your presence is the fullness of joy and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. People who are in the presence of God have joy. Joy starts what? In fact, Jesus said in John 7, on the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles, he said, come to me, all you who are thirsty, right? And I'll give you drink. Listen, he says, for out of your innermost being will flow rivers of living water. Remember, the rock that was in the wilderness was Christ. And just like water came out of the rock, when Jesus Christ, the rock, comes into your life, out will flow the living water. And you will discover that praise is just something that starts to flow when you dwell in the presence of the Lord. Brothers and sisters, some of you have to not just be in the book, but you got to take a look at what the book is pointing you to. You need to open up the pages and realize the volume of the book is written of him. This book is not for just morality, but to get you in tune with the personality of the Bible, which is Jesus Christ himself. Some of you will recognize, I just feel so inadequate. Verse six, says this poor man, this poor man cried out and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. You know what I love? I don't think David was talking about somebody else. I think this was David realizing I was that poor man. I was just acting crazy before a king just so I can save my life. 
And he started realizing, I am so poor. Isn't this what Jesus teaches at the Sermon on the Mount? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Aren't we thankful that Jesus Christ, who was rich, became poor so that you, through his poverty, might become rich? When you start realizing the abundance of God's goodness, you start to feel a sense of, oh, Lord, I'm so poor. I believe that the poor person in this context is the person who recognizes they're spiritually bankrupt without the Lord. Have you come to that place of realization yet? Have you been working hard, going through the motions, only to discover your emotions are all over the place, and it's because you don't have a devotion in your heart in the right place? And what you need to realize is you need to acknowledge your poverty and see his riches. My Jesus will heal any broken heart in this room. Our Jesus will save the weary soul. And he invites you right now, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Just like David, Paul the apostle also talks about himself in third person point of view. You might remember in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, when he got caught up into the third heaven, he says, by the abundance of revelations that he saw, it says that God humbled him by giving him that thorn in his flesh a buffeter of Satan, so to speak. But know this, it was so that Paul could realize that though he was weak, he was actually strong because God's grace is sufficient for him. His strength is perfected in our weakness. How important it is that we are all poor people crying out to the Lord to be saved from our troubles. Verse seven, the angel of the Lord encamps all around those who fear him. Praise God that the Lord is a Lord of hosts and he's protecting us. He's interceding for us. We take shelter under the shelter of his wings. In America, we call 911 for an emergency. But in the Bible, we go to Psalm 91.1 for an emergency. 911 is he who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. That's where we're protected. And then we get to verse 8. And I just love verse eight. This is where I'm just gonna camp for this remaining couple minutes. Listen, in verse eight, we realize this. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. We sang it this morning. The, the worship songs were so fitting for today. And I think that a lot of Christians are not tasting of the goodness of God. They're telling Others, that God is real, sometimes we talk about God in third-person point of view all day, but the person who tastes starts to say, oh, God is so good. This is what he's doing in me right now. I got a little test for everybody up here. Take, take a look up here. All eyes up here for just a second. Let's see if this stayed in my pocket. I've got a bag here, and I got a question. Let's see who gets it right. Is this a bag of salt, or is this a bag of sugar? If you think it's sugar... Let me see a show of hands. Who's my sugar people here? Okay, you're the sugar ones. How many think it's salt? Okay, these are all the salty ones. Now, you are the salt of the earth, but you're wrong. <laughs> this is sugar. Now, the, if, if you look, glance at it, you can't tell the difference. And some people are just glancing at God, and they don't really see what's the difference between just going to church or not going to church. I mean, I, can I have my own private relationship with God? Do we really need God's people? And do I really need to follow all the Bible? Listen. I'm going to tell you something. The blessing is in the tasting. If I was to open up this bag and take a little out and put it on my tongue, right away, I know if it's sugar or salt, right? 
The same is true for every Christian in this room. When you taste and see that God is good, nobody can tell you otherwise. I don't care what the world thinks about God today. I don't care what your coworkers are thinking. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I'm going to keep my eyes on Jesus. I'm going to keep pressing on him. Why? Because I'm convinced. I put that in my mouth. Oh, yep, that's sugar. It's sweet. I know that it's the Lord. I know that Jesus is in my life. And I want to continually taste of the goodness of God. Back to 1 Peter, where you guys have been studying. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 3, it says that we should continue to right, take the, the milk, the, the pure milk of the word, if, but, but listen, if you've tasted that the Lord is gracious. A lot of us know the gospel of grace, but are you enjoying the gospel of grace? A lot of us know how good God is, but are you tasting of his goodness today? Brothers and sisters, This psalm is an invitation to take your walk seriously, to be a true worshiper, an authentic believer, and somebody who is not a fair-weather Christian. You know, some of us are just like, well, I just, you know, I need a break from God. I need a break from the church. I'm just going through a lot right now. Listen, whether the weather be cold or whether the weather be hot, we'll be together whatever the weather, whether we like it or not. So understand this. We are going to be together for all eternity as Christians. We are going to be worshipers of God forever. And the closer you stay to the people of God, the closer you are to the taste of heaven. If you are struggling, don't isolate yourself. It's the worst thing you can do. Instead, learn to be a David, a man after God's own heart who worships the Lord. And what happens? He gathers in community. He, those men who were distressed, discontented, and, 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 and in debt, you know what they became? These 400 men became David's mighty men. And I'll tell you what made them mighty is they worshiped almighty God. In closing today, look at what we have. The last two verses. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for there is no want to those who fear him. The young lions lack and suffer hunger, but those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. You know how beautiful is it that Although David tasted of the goodness of God, it didn't make him take for granted that God is still holy and deserves the highest respect and honor. Isaiah 66 verse two says, on this one will I look on he who trembles at my word and has a poor and contrite spirit. David had a fear of the Lord and that's what caused him not to want from other things in this life. David would write in Psalm 23 verse one, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And brothers and sisters, today, you don't have to leave here today wanting because God has already made his home in you. If you just turn over and take the keys and say, Lord, I know that my house has become a home. I want you to be at home in my life. And then you hand the keys right back to Jesus and say, be the head of my home. My body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Lord, reign in my body. I want to glorify you in my body and my spirit which are the Lord's. It's interesting that David mentions young lions are lacking and suffering, suffering hunger. You know why? He was in a cave. He probably saw some lions go by. And he started realizing, those are creations of God, but they're searching for food, and I've already found what I need. These young lions are nothing compared to the lion of the tribe of Judah. Our Jesus is truly a God that is sufficient to meet our needs and to take us through every storm of life for he is faithful. And those who seek him shall not lack any good thing. As Hebrews eleven six 6 says, 
Without faith, it is impossible to please God. And anybody who comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Seek him, dear church. Seek him in the morning. Seek him in the noontime. Seek him in the evening. He is so good. And he's waiting to spend more time with you. So take time to make time for the one who made time. Praise the Lord. Pray with me.